yesterday was um, led in a not a different direction, but um, to add some areas uh, to what we will be talking about this morning. One of the things that I was led to do is to uh, begin here, and I would kind of put all this together as we go on. See you go to party. You're good. Amen. Um, we're not screaming yet, are we? We are? Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. A little thumbs up. <laughs> Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We welcome our online audience and congregation. Amen. Those that can't be with us live. We want to admonish you to be involved with uh, the training center and, uh, what God is doing in this ministry. We believe this is good ground. We believe this is an appointed church, not a went church. And um, we thank God for your presence on this morning. Hold on just a second as we reset some things here. Amen. Praise the Lord. I am learning uh, how to just get some stuff out. <laughs> A little more accurately and um, and so that's what we're doing this morning as you see me standing here before you moving some stuff around amen hallelujah glory to God uh, one more, and then we're going to move forward. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, God, we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word on this morning. Lord, we pray, let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. Holy Spirit, you are indeed welcome in this place. Minister to my through these lips of clay, Lord. Lord, we pray for revelation. We pray, Lord, for a word in due season. We give you praise in advance for what you'll do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone that say amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, Father I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. And everyone just say amen. Everybody say glory to God. Everybody say good morning. Good morning, y'all. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's begin here, if you will, to in uh, 2 Peter. 2 Peter uh, of chapter 1. And we're going to look at really quick. I'm going I'm to run through this very quickly because there's a place that I got to get to this morning. But I want you to notice that the second uh, Peter begins. It says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he indicates to you that the grace of God, God's unmerited favor. And then he says the peace of God is multiplied to you through knowledge of God. The more information you get about God, the more the grace of God is ministered within your life. The more knowledge you get about God, the more the peace of God is ministered in amongst your life. He says, verse number three, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He says, I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. Sounds like, once again, grace and peace are multiplied through the knowledge of God. He says, he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And he indicates, but it's once again through knowledge of him who has called us by glory, called us to glory and virtue. He says, verse number four, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious 
promises. So he says, through the knowledge, that's how grace and peace is multiplied unto you. How He says, I've given you the ability to have life and live in godliness. But he also says it's because of knowledge. He says, how does all of these things begin to manifest in your life? He says, I've given you great and exceedingly precious promises. Notice that by these, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then the next thing that Peter does by inspiration of the Spirit of God is he gives a list of things that will help you in regards to you being a partaker of the divine nature. These areas we will go over at another time are what I indeed call the prescription for a successful life. And we'll pick that subject up at another date as the Lord leads. But one of the first things that Peter basically indicates is the first area that has to be in its proper seat is this area of faith. Faith is important to the heart of God. Now, look at this really quick. Drop down. We're not going to go through the list really quick for the sake of time, but he indicates this in verse number 12. This is what I want to get to this morning. He says, wherefore, I will not ne be neglected or I will not be neglect to put you always, notice the term, in remembrance of these things. And he says, though you know them and be established in the present truth. And that's the key to this assignment that I have on me now. You might have heard this before, but faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Peter saying by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, you might be establishing this present truth, but it is my job, it's my duty, it's my assignment to put you in remembrance of these things. First Peter chapter, uh, or first Corinthians chapter three and six, through seven, Paul is saying that he said at one point in time, he says, I have planted Apollos waters, but God is the one that gives the increase, depositing a particular kind of concept that, yes, there is a time when you hear something for the first time, it's a planting that's taking place. You never heard this before this way. You never heard it quite put this way. And so it's fresh. It's new. But now he indicates to us there is another spiritual concept that is ministerial in its nature. He says there is a watering concept. Now we understand that what we're getting ready to go through right now is this, this changing of the seasons whereby uh, it's springtime. Some of the things that you planted in one season are going to begin to come up in this season. Some of the things that you've done here are going to begin to manifest there. But in the process of things growing, what we oftentimes do is we get our water hose out and we water the lawn or we water a plant. It's not just a one time event. There is a time when you plant new seeds, but there's also a time when you water those seeds that have been planted so that they grow the way they are intended to grow. For some, this will be the first time that you've ever heard me minister on the subject of faith. And for others, this will be a watering. But at any place that you are spiritually, because that's going to be the thing about this church, I believe that the Spirit of God has called us to repetition. And that means sometimes we get to say some things over and over and over and over again. If you didn't notice, the name of the church is called the Training Center. And that's what we do that we drill on different things. We deal with different subjects as the spirit of God leads us. For so some, this is a watering and for some, this is a planting. But the assignment still is the same. What is the assignment? We are going to talk about what's so important about faith. What's so important about faith. And for that, we've indicated to you certain things in regards to the scripture. <clears throat> Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11 is the one I'm actually going to read. They all say the same thing. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38 is the one I'm going to read. They all say the same thing. He says, now the just shall live by faith. 
the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, but the just shall live by faith. Romans 1 verse 17, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3 verse 11, the just shall live by faith. Romans 10 38, the just shall live by faith. I think that God is trying to get a point across to us. He says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He gives us four witnesses here that he indicates to us that the just shall live by faith. The word shall, if you look at the etymology of this word shall, it literally means will have to, ought to, or the word it indicates must. The just must, the just will have to, the just ought to live by faith. So it sounds like to me that the option of living by faith is only that of a person that is either submitted to the will of God or someone that's not. Because he says that the just shall live by faith, indicating to us it is a commandment to live by faith. It is not a commandment for the preacher to live by faith, and I don't have to. It is a commandment to the church. He says those that have been justified, there I say, by the blood of Jesus. We just had communion just a second ago. It is a remembrance of the Eucharist that Jesus, by his blood, has brought us that were once far off into his kingdom. And he says, the just, those have been justified by my blood, shall live by faith. Now, interesting enough, he doesn't say the just shall live by the kingdom, because the kingdom is the, is the overall, it's the concept of where we live. He doesn't say that the just shall live by the grace of God because we live in the grace of God. But he says the just shall live by faith. So the reason why faith becomes important for us to go over and drill on this because it is intended to be a lifestyle and not an event. He says, now the just shall live by faith out of verse 38. Watch this. He says, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And as, as I said a few minutes ago, before we started streaming, that's one of the things that God began to drop on the inside of me. Sometimes the weight has everything to do with getting the drawback out of you. Sometimes the weight has everything to do with getting the quit out of your spirit so that you don't be or so that you are not like the children of Israel in the wilderness. When an issue showed up, the first thing they always did, say, oh, why you bring us out here, Moses? We had it better on the master at master's table. Now you're free. And every time you're faced with an issue or a circumstance, you remind God that you would rather be in bondage than be in freedom. It's an amazing thing that people, a lot of times when they're faced with an obstacle, they'll go to God and tell God about how things used to be before they came to God. And God's looking at you saying, you want, you want to be back in slavery? That doesn't make sense. He says, watch this. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We want God to have pleasure with our lives. So one of the things that he does is he gets out of you the quit. Verse 39 says, but we are not of them. Thank God for this, who draw back unto perdition, but of them, notice the term, that believe to the saving of our soul. So what's so important about faith? Number one is that it is a commandment. It is not a suggestion. If I want to actually do or to live this life that God has intended for me, it requires that I walk and live by faith. The next reason is because salvation comes through faith. The only way I can get into the kingdom is through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. By grace in grace, because of grace, I have the ability to get born again. But he says it's through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift. How do you receive this gift of salvation? By faith. Faith is vitally important. So salvation comes through faith. And then notice this over in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number six. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number six. 
The scripture says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who is he talking about? Who is the him? It's God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I can't please God apart from faith. And so this, therefore, must mean that faith is important to God. I submit to you, and we'll get there as as we get more into this particular series, that one of the reasons why faith is important to God is because faith is a relational word. It's become religiousized, but when you really look at it, it's relational. You can't please anybody if you can't trust them. How can we have a relationship and you don't trust what I say? How can we have a relationship when you don't lean on me? How can you have a relationship? At best, it's going to be superficial if we don't have a relationship of faith. And he says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God, he says, must believe that he is, is what? And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's everything that you need. He that comes to God must believe that he is. He's my source. He's my sustainer. He's the one that empowers me. He says, that's the reason why it's impossible to please God, because it requires that you come to me. It requires a relationship with me. And you can't aggregate this area in your life. Now, let's look at Hebrews 11 and verse number one. Hebrews 11 and verse number one. And we're going to take our time just kind of milking this a little bit this morning. I'm not going to be but so long. At least that's the intent. But let's look at Hebrews 11 and verse number one. All you got to do is back up if you have your Bible physically open. We looked at verse number six. Let's look at verse number one. Verse number one defines what faith is. If he says that it is important because the just shall live by faith, then we need to know what it is. If he says it's impossible to please God apart from faith, then it's important that we know what it is. And again, I want to point this out. There's nothing wrong. I have no issue with, with per se, the grace theology that is being promulgated today. I don't have any issue with uh, perhaps the kingdom uh, theology or concept that's being promulgated today. But I, I, I see something that's interesting. He didn't say, but without the kingdom concept or without grace, it's impossible to please him. He does say without faith it is. So in my estimate, it seems that faith and the discussion of faith is vitally important in the life of the believer. So let's define what this means. What does it mean to have Bible faith? Hebrews 11 and verse 1 out of the King James says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's stop here. Now faith is. Now faith is. Notice the term now faith. Now there are some that indicate to us that out of the original Greek, the word now is not actually in the text. It was inserted by way of the translators. But if we even take the word now out of the particular text, it still says faith is, which indicates to us a particular thing or a particular concept concerning faith, that faith always is. What does that mean? Faith is always active. Faith is always active. It is always present tense. If you are going to talk in terms of Bible faith, then we are talking about something that is active within your life. Faith always is. It is. It, is. it can't be past tense or it's not faith anymore. It can't be, I heard that before, and it's not faith again. Faith coming by here and here. What does this indicate to you again? Faith is always active. What does the word active mean? It means it's energetic. It means it's dynamic. That means it's working. That means it's effective. It means that faith is always alive. And as I indicated to you on Thursday night, this is a God concept because God is not finite like we do, like we are. In other words, he doesn't have a past, 
a present or a future. He lives in eternity. Past, present, and future is always concurrent. It is a concept that boggles the mind of how can you live with past, present, and future all existing at the same time. I sometimes think about that particular concept and I and, and I struggle with that. What does this mean that that the past that we understand is linear and, and the future is a linear concept, but God, you see it all at the same time. And so he says that the just shall live by faith. He says the just shall live by faith. This concept of faith is not a linear concept. It's an eternal concept whereby he says it does not have a start point other than you saying it, but where eternity is concerned, it is always now. When God said, light be, let there be, he said, let there be light. He saw it as now. There was no distance or time of it waiting for manifestation. When he's creating in Genesis chapter one, everything he says, it's outside of the dimension of time. So when he says that now faith is, he's getting over to us a concept that he lives by, that he operates by, which is an eternal concept that I want you to see your faith as always active now. And that becomes a problem because we live in time and God does not. God says, yes, I understand that. That's an issue for you. But I want you to act like it's done the moment you release faith for it. Because that's the concept. Faith is now. It is a now concept. It is energetic. It is dynamic. It is alive. Um, inactive faith, watch this, is a change in faith. Inactive faith is always considered a change in faith. So if your faith is not present tense, then that means your faith is no longer active. It is a change. I used to believe God. That means you don't believe now. That means you believe something else, which means your faith is no longer active or activated. It may be inoperative. It may be unproductive. It may be lethargic. That means it has been changed. So he says to us, now faith is, is the first concept. Notice the second. He says the substance. Well, what is the substance? It is essence. It is material of something. It means faith has a composition. It means it is also, it is a combination of something which he's about to indicate. Faith is comprised of something that it is material. It is spiritual material in the kingdom of God. It is by the grace of God that we get to operate by faith in the kingdom. That's the reason why all of these things interconnect. Faith in the kingdom of God, dare I say, is the currency by which we receive the promises of God. It is a substance. Now watch this. <clears throat> he says of things hoped for. Things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Well, what is hope? Now, this is something that I have been guilty of as well. That I spend more time on the evidence side and I don't spend as much time on the hope side. He says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is hope? It is to want something to happen or to want something to be true. Hope, dare I say, is an aspiration of good. Hope is an ambition. It is a dream. It is a yearning, a longing, a craving for the good. He says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of the things not seen. But Faith, therefore, has two vital components, hope and evidence, evidence and hope. But he indicates not evidence first, but hope. So hope has to have a level of importance in regards to our definition. It, he indicates essentially to us that this compound calls faith. If you're talking in terms of water, it's H2O. If you don't have the hydrogen with the oxide or the oxygen, if you say rather, then you don't have water. Faith with evidence and no hope 
does not make Bible. You got to have both elements. Does that make sense? And one of the key issues and one of the areas that the devil fights us on is this area of hope. One of the things that he does, one of the tactics that he uses is to fight us in regards to becoming hopeless concerning our situation and our circumstance. There are so many people of color that have moved into an area of hopelessness. There are so many young people and teens that are moving to an area of hopelessness where they don't have any ambition, longings, or cravings because they have gotten shut down by the issues of life. And there is a reason for this. Because if you don't have hope and evidence, you don't have Bible faith and you don't have the ability to receive from God. And so what the devil does strategically in our lives, he said, okay, I ain't going to work on the evidence. stuff. No, I'm going to work on the hope. If I can kill the dream before it even begins to get evidence of the promises of God, then I can assassinate your purpose. I can assassinate your life's reason for being here. He says, watch this. What is hope? Let's look over here really quick. The Psalms 33. Psalms 33. I want you to notice something here. I have a New Living Translation. Psalms 33 says, I have a New Living Translation. Hope. Faith is the substance of things hopeful. Hope is an aspiration of good. It is an aspiration of good. Psalms 33, verse 18, uh, the New Living Translation says, But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. Verse number 20 says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our shield or he is our help and our shield. Notice we put our hope in the Lord. My mother sent me a text here, I think yesterday, about a young lady that killed herself in the Ikea parking lot um, not too long ago, right here in in the Charlotte region. And I saw that and I said, Lord, what, what gets a person? to the point where they want to commit suicide. And one of the things that God keeps saying to me is they have lost hope. They don't see it anymore. They lost hope. You can't get them to evidence yet because they don't even have the first part, which is hope. He says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Verse 21. Notice he says, in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. If you don't have hope in God, then we got an issue. If you don't have hope to begin with, then we can never connect you with what Bible faith is. I submit to you that hope is the natural disposition of man. Hope is the natural or the natural disposition of man. Well, what does the word disposition mean? It means a person's inherent quality or their minor character. Hope is the natural position, disposition of a man. That's the reason why, you know, when you look at a baby that hasn't been infected by the issues of life or a child, they are full of hope. They don't have any capacity for a concept of not making it. That's one of the reasons why when you are younger, man, you do things because you never had the consequences or the circumstances that say that you shouldn't do it. You just do it. You just go out there. You step out. You might drive down the road at 90 miles an hour because you've not seen any accidents in your life. You might do all kinds of things with unabridged steps because you just, you don't know. Your hopes are limitless. But when you get older and you've gone through some things and you have some life issues, now you get more what we call cautious because my hope begins to change. 
Maybe, maybe I've had an issue in my marriage and it's going on over and over again. Little by little, I move to an area where I feel like this is never going to change. And you move this area of hopelessness. Now, he says that those that put their hope in the Lord, which means this should not be the case for the believer. But in so many places, this is the issue with believers that we have moved subtly into this area of hopelessness. You see it subtly with this area of politics, even that you start listening to people when this person is in his office, we're hopeless. We're not going to make it. God's not on our side. When this person's in office, oh, God is God is with us. And we got a problem here because you place your faith not in God, but in the politician. The people of Ukraine right now are dealing with a question as to who do you believe? They're faced with an enemy that's very natural, that's coming up again against them. Everything looks like failure. Where are you going to push your hope? Hope is from the Lord. Now, notice this. Let's flip over since we're in Psalms 33, the Psalms 42. Psalms 42. I wanted to show you this. The book of Psalms is broken into different books, if you will. Book, book one, book two, three, and I believe book four. This is where Psalms is kind of divided. Now, if you are not familiar with Psalms, you a lot of times think that the only person that wrote Psalms is David. <laughs> when in reality, it is a collection. And this particular Psalm, Psalms 42, was written by the descendants of Korah. And I saw that today, and that just, you know, really last night late. And, and the Lord said, now, let's go back over the story of Korah. Well, what, who was Korah? Korah, if you read back in the book of Numbers, was a leader of a rebellion against Moses. Moses was doing the will of God, and Korah got in himself to say, Moses, who do you think you are leading us, bringing us out here into this wilderness? We are just, dare I say in our terms, as anointed as you are. And he leads a rebellion. But the end result of this rebellion is that God defends Moses. And this is a side journey, a side note for the pastors that listen to me. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to get back or get carnal with your members. You don't have to do any of those things. When God is the one that's assigned you, all you got to do, do just like Moses. Default back into, the only reason why I'm here is because of God. God said, you right, step back and I'll take care of it. And that's exactly what he did with Korah and his followers. Now, this particular Psalms, though, was written by the descendants. So it's not Korah's children because they got swallowed up by the earth, according to uh, numbers. But maybe the cousins and the, the uncles and the aunts and all these other people that did not go into the earth because of the punishment of Korah. Notice what they write in verse number one. It says out of the New Living Translation, as the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Now, notice this. We have an old song that we sing in the church, As the Deer. And it's a powerful song. It's still a good song. But the indication of this song is our longing is for God. The descendants of Korah that saw this massive rebellion, when they repent and come back to uh, their heart is, God, we long for you. Now, everything in their life seems hopeless because their descendants had a rebellion against God's established authority. And it might be in your life that you have rebelled against what God has called you to do. You rebelled against where he set you. You rebel against everything. And then only when you repent, that's when you will get back to a place where God says, I will fill you with hope. You'll never be filled with hope in the state of rebellion. Let's be very clear on that. Watch this, verse number uh, 11, drop down. It says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Notice this out of the New Living Translation. He says, I will put my hope in God and I will praise him again. My Savior and my God. What was the key for their restoration? A return to God through repentance and returning to the hope that God had established in them. Hope by itself 
is not Bible faith, but hope is vitally important to your faith. Hope, if I can say it like this, I heard Dr. Price say it like this, is a goal setter. But the way I would say it is essentially hope is the abstract. An inherent belief that this is not what I'm supposed to do. Well, this is not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be better than this. This is something that we see with our ancestors in, in, in bondage that even though they put them in chains, they had to put them in chains because they're going to run off. They had to take the Bible away from them and take portions of the scripture out because of the fact if they already had hope and they got evidence, then they move into a deeper level of what we call faith. So what we got to do is separate you from the evidence. And this is what the devil does, because hope is on the inside of you. When you're going through life's issues and you think, man, I don't know how we're going to get through on the inside of you. The Holy Ghost is always drawing you back in this area of hope. Notice this. You can't seek God and stay in hopelessness. You cannot seek God and stay in hopelessness. The reason why they say, ask the deer, panic for the river, for the water, so my soul longest for you. You cannot seek God and stay in a perpetual state of hopelessness. Dare I say it like this, depression and hope can't reside in the same heart. So I can't get in the presence of God and depression stay there. Now notice the term depression, what is that? It is when things of hope are pressed out of your heart. I'm, 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 I've had so many struggles that I now am moving to a point of I don't even want to hear it anymore because I don't believe. I submit to you, grief and hope cannot reside in the same heart as well. The Bible says in Psalm, um, Proverbs 13 and verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But watch this. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. I'm going to read this almost verbatim. Hopelessness, what the Holy Ghost said to me. A hopeless man will disregard rules, laws, and even self-preservation, just seeking a relief. A hopeless person will disregard rules, laws, and even self-preservation for a relief. We see this sometimes in our community when maybe a judgment comes down that we know is an unrighteous judgment. You say, why are they rioting? Because they move into a state of hopelessness. And that means we're going to disregard the rules now. We're going to have anarchy now because of the fact if the laws don't work, then what result? We, we got to get some kind of relief. Hopeless or a hopeless man will disregard, watch this, life and the value of others for relief, even if it's temporal or fleeting relief. And this is why this becomes dangerous. You hear folks say, well, I, I, I don't care if I live or die. You know, I met some young people over at Irwin Center that say, I don't really care if I live or die. Are you saying to me is you are a person that has moved into an area of hopelessness? You don't see beyond your circumstances. And so what God will oftentimes do is he'll send light into these dark areas. You know, let me say that. You know, that's the reason why we should start being the church and stop trying to just be folks that go to church. Because God wants to deploy you in the midst of dark spaces so that he can shine his light. And you just minister to somebody and say, you know, God finds you valuable. You are important. Those little words has a tendency to just spark on the inside of somebody. Hope that somebody sees me. Maybe God wants to use your life as a point of contact in the life of somebody else to say, I see you. You have value. And when that begins to happen, it begins to ignite on the inside of that person, this area of hope. Let's look really quick at Luke chapter four. I want you to notice something. Luke chapter four, this is Jesus speaking, his first sermon after he came out of the wilderness and he goes to church, he goes to temple and he finds the book of Isaiah and he opens it up. Verse number 18, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because, uh, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Notice the next thing he says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I submit to you that the person 
that is hopeless is exactly that, a person that is broken in their heart. Hebrews 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, oh, Jesus the anointed one, and his anointed the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means if God heals the broken heart, then he still does it today. And one of the things, once again, I keep seeing circling back around to this is as much as I love to talk about faith, the reason why people don't get into the search for the evidence for the promises of God is because they don't even have the hope in this right place. The devil spends so much time depressing you, placing grief on you so that you don't have the first component, which is hope, which facilitates you looking for the evidence of what you've been hoping for. So if I can stop you here, you'll never get into this area of faith. You'll never receive from God. I submit to you, hope is the draw or the attraction that the Holy Ghost uses to lead us towards evidence which produces faith. And so what happens again, I'll say this one more time. I don't have to stop you in evidence. And that's the reason why sometimes you can have people that go to a word-based church where they're teaching the word, they're teaching the word, they're teaching the word, got scripture after scripture after scripture. But if the people have moved into an area of hopelessness, then they won't receive the evidence and that doesn't produce faith. That's the issue. Hope has to be in its proper seat. Now, well, how do I get out of this area of hope? Now, I found out something in my own life. You might have known this. I do this. But one of the key areas that you, way you get out of hope is through this area of praise. Praise is the catalyst where hope springs forth. A lot of times that's what we think when we come to church. We're praising God to give God praise and glory, and we are. But there's a reason why he says, oh, magnify the Lord, because when you are praising God, hope on your heart begins to rise. This is the reason why he says go to church, because when you praise or I had some times in my own life where it felt so heavy, there were some issues. And I just got my phone out when I was riding somewhere, put some good praise music on. And I felt my spirit rising because it's the spark. Hope. It's the spark of joy. Now notice this in Isaiah 61 and verse 3. He says, to the appoint, to appoint unto them uh, that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. Watch this, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of for praise, or the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We praise God because he's worthy of our praise, but we praise God because it lifts us in the process. That hope begins to rise on the inside of us. And as hope begins to rise on the inside of us, now the Holy Spirit leads us to see the evidence of what he said in his promise. And when hope is united with evidence, we now have faith. If you disconnect the two, that's what keeps you out of faith. And that's what keeps you out of receiving from God. Next time we say open your mouth and praise God, see it as an advantage for you. Next time we, when we say, oh, come on, let's magnify the Lord. We're not saying this to be religious. We're saying this because it benefits you to praise God. Praise God over the issues that you have. Praise God over the circumstances that you're faced with. Hope begins to rise on the inside of you the more you praise God. Joy begins to show up. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why is it, why is it I'm moving into hopelessness? Maybe I need to check my praise life. Do I have the same praise I used to have? It's connected to your hope. It's important. It's not a religious thing that we do. It is something that is a life for us. Let's stop here and we'll pick up here on Thursday. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus. God, I pray over every single person under the sound of my voice. 
those that are I take authority over the spirit of suicide and depression in the name of Jesus. I take authority over the spirit of grief in the name of Jesus. And we speak to it now and say, you must go now in the name of Jesus. Devil, take your hands off of God's people. Loose them in the name of Jesus. Let hope arise. Let hope arise. God, you, you haven't forgotten about them. Let hope arise, dear God. We thank you, Lord, that you are our God and our King. The great one that lives on the inside of us. And so, Lord, we thank you for joy. We thank you for joy. <laughs> thank you for joy. Thank you for a garment of praise. God, when we don't feel like it, everything in our emotions are screaming, God will yet praise you. And we thank you, Lord, that we're praising you because you're worthy. But God, we're praising you because we know it's a source of strength in our own lives, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Let hope arise in every heart under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, it's giving time. You ever notice that the Bible says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver? Once again, must have some connection to praise again. Because I see the bigness of my God. Hallelujah. Look at and see where we're at. Which scripture I picked today. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. I, um, I want to admonish you. One of the reasons why. We read the scriptures when it's given time is because faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't bucket plump here. We give in faith. We don't bucket plump here. We give from joy. We give from a cheerful heart because we have an expectation from God. Watch this. Proverbs chapter three and verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And the first fruit of all your income. The first fruit of all your income. This is the Amplified Version of the Bible. The Bible says, honor the Lord. Well, what does the word honor mean? It comes from a Hebrew word means to make heavy. It means rich or valuable. It means to glorify. So he says, glorify the Lord with your wealth. Make heavy the Lord in your life with your wealth. Honor him with your wealth and the first fruit of your crops or your income. He says, he can say that and walk away and that's it. But he does. He says, when you honor God, he says, then, verse number 10, your barns will be abundantly filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor precedes abundance. If you believe in God for abundance in your barns, well, what is your barn? Your, your accounts. Amen? It starts with honor. Get the oil right. So many people, we miss this very basic principle and we put the account first, the job first, not the place of honor first. The Bible says that God is the one that gives us the power to get wealth. So, when we recognize that when I give back to God, I'm really giving back to the one that gave me the ability to even get this honor. Honor the Lord. Then, then you will be abundantly blessed. Then you will overflow. Honor precedes the abundance in your life. Three ways that you can give to the training center. I believe this is good ground. First way, I might have to stay on this floor a little bit longer. I'm enjoying this floor today. Um, three ways to get to the training center. The first way is by way of our cash app. The second way is by way of our website. 
And the last but not least is by way of our P.O. box number. And of course, you can get live in the house. Always are received by our church. We thank God for all of those that have sown into this ministry. We believe this is good ground. We are a sowing ministry as well. We sow into other ministries and other works. I, I shot my wife a text uh, the other day of something I saw here locally in our community. We're going to do our best to help. I do our part to address it. We are not where we are going to be, but there's still some things we can do on the level we are. And that's what we do. And we believe, therefore, this is good ground when you sow into this ministry. We thank God for our members. We even thank God for our partners that support the ministry. Some We have partners that support this ministry that have never set foot into the doors of this church. And we just, let me just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for responding to the Spirit of God and sowing into this ministry. You are indeed helping to make it possible. There's some things that we want to do. Uh, let me just say as well, in the front part of this building, to bring it up to a level of excellence that will help us facilitate putting our name more predominant on the outside of our building. Currently, I don't really want to put our name out there because it doesn't look quite like we want it to look. Amen. And so we're going to continue to work on that area. But your seeds go into helping us to be the light in this area that God has intended for us to be. So we thank you for your obedience to the spirit of God. So we as a congregation, we want to set ourselves in agreement where our giving is concerned. Let us do so now. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we set ourselves in agreement over every seed that's sown into this ministry. We thank you, Lord, that we give cheerfully. And therefore, we thank you, Lord, that we believe you for abundance in our life, for the good works that you've signed our hands to do, for our accounts to be abundantly filled, Lord, because we honor you. We thank you, Lord, that because we are titers and we are givers, that you've rebuked the devourer for our sake. We thank you, Lord, we live under an open heaven in which the blessings of God are pouring out on our lives. And so, Lord, I just set myself in agreement with every seed that's sown in this ministry. And we declare by faith the grace of God released on their life, the favor of God released on their life, the abundance of God released on their life for their obedience to believe you where their seed is concerned. We give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, thank you for being with us this morning. We thank all those that joined us by way of online as well. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord.